us and sustain us with a willing spirit. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be talking about church planning this morning because it's church planning Sunday. And uh, it would be really easy to kind of flip anywhere in the New Testament and preach about church planning. Um, but for me, I chose to go with Matthew 16, and we'll kind of see why. Uh, it's important for me to address just a, a couple things about this before we get into it. Um, one is the foundation from which I'm, I'm working. I'm going to be kind of assuming that the primary means or the primary shape that our obedience takes from the Great Commission is in church planning. And so while that's an audacious claim, I think it's, it's plain, and that's going to be kind of the foundation we're working from. Um, but we're going to read that Matthew 16, 13 through 20, and then go to the Lord and jump right in. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to continue worshiping you by feasting on your word. Thank you that it has the power to change us, to transform us. We ask that you do that today. Amen. So, like I said, we're not going to be taking like a whole uh, argument from the New, New Testament about what uh, church planning is. We're going to kind of look at what comes before it, what comes underneath it, and hopefully answer the objections that you've probably heard. Statements like, uh, you know, I, got, I have more church over on the boat over there or out on the tree stand. Yeah, <laughs> you might have heard some of these. Or... At Seven Square Coffee with my Bible app and uh, just me and Jesus. Have have any of you heard that? Have you any of you thought that type of thing before, or struggled with that type of thing? I definitely have, and so I want to kind of address that. And I think Jesus does that in this passage. We see Jesus alluding to a structure that wasn't in existence yet. He would then go on to. Uh, pay the price for our sins on the cross, rise again, and give us the Great Commission. So the church is established after Jesus leaves earth. But Jesus established this organization. He established the institution of the church. 
because it's an institution, it does not make it evil. <laughs> I know that's a, a hard truth to swallow nowadays, but it's true that it's Jesus' design, and that's what we're kind of wanting to go back to here and look at this. There's also a really interesting exchange here he has with the disciples. This dialogue is kind of uh, like Jesus is really pressing in on something. And so we're going to look at that as the context. Why is Jesus forcing this issue? Why is he asking this question about his identity? And then once we get past that concept, we're going to look at the content of the dialogue. What, what are they actually saying? What's the back and forth? What is the church? Who is Jesus? These kind of questions. And then finally, we'll look at this conclusion that's a little bit of a contrast from everything else we've read and kind of see where it's spitting us out at. Let's start in verses 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, who was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Caesarea Philippi was a place that was riddled with paganism, um, and we also experience that today. We have a, a similar culture in which there are gods everywhere. In fact, uh, as we read on here, we'll see that some of these same uh, misunderstandings or misconceptions about Jesus that they held, we also have similar ones. They respond in verse 14 saying, and they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, I'd like to call your attention to the nature of this question. Like, do we think that Jesus is having an identity crisis here? No, <laughs> clearly not. We also know that he knows everything. So the question is more about them than it is about Jesus. He's not wanting them to give him information he doesn't already have. He's wanting to press in on the issue. Who do, who do people say that I am? And we'll see in a little bit that the Greek actually makes it sound like he's saying, who do you, you say that I am? Like you all, but specifically you, my followers, the ones that I've called and have chosen to follow me. What do you say about me? And their answers are kind of strange. Some say John the Baptist. Uh, this is a crowd that was there when Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. So think about how bizarre this is that you would see John the Baptist baptize Jesus and then think that the person who got baptized was the person who baptized the person pretty confusing and it's pretty bizarre but it's crazy because like it was easier for them to accept that than to see Jesus as the Messiah and we make some pretty big leaps a lot of times we may be a little more sophisticated in the way that we misunderstand Jesus Yeah, what? Sorry about that. Uh, do we recognize when we're being told that um, Jesus didn't perform miracles, that the historical Jesus was somebody who is, is safe to trust as a historical figure, but maybe he didn't really mean to establish 
a body of believers. Maybe he didn't really mean to start a whole new religion after himself. Or maybe it's a little more sophisticated now, and you may fall prey to more of the, like, the kind of verified blue check Jesus, like Jordan Peterson influence, you know. Like, intellectually, this could be true. We'll tolerate Jesus. He's somewhat right. You can see how he would be right, but I'm not going to make all the claims that the Bible makes. Or maybe it's one of these misconceptions about Jesus where, you know, we see manhood and, you know, (laughs) just insanely, like, uh, yeah, insecure. Um, Aggression. Being touted as manhood, and like this is Jesus. Jesus personifies this. Or maybe it's like the relationship we had with our father. It becomes the dominant story of our life, and that's how we view Jesus. And so we misunderstand who Jesus is because we replace him with all these other small C Christ. And we see Matthew repeatedly throughout this gospel telling us. Well, in the words of Jesus, that little Christ would come, other Christ would come. We also see Paul in 2 Corinthians talking about this. We see John talking about antichrist or little Christ, false Christ, coming and leading people astray. So let's not be fooled into thinking that Jesus doesn't also want us to answer this question. Who is he? Before we can know what he intends to do in his church, in and through his church, what he wants to establish. We've got to see who he is. We have to recognize who he is. So let's look at Peter's confession, starting in in verse 15. And we'll see that his confession is met with another confession from Jesus, which will lead us eventually to the church's confession. Verse 15 says, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. We've seen Jesus prompting this discussion. He's the one that's kind of picking at it. Okay, you've told me what they believe. I know there's like mass confusion about who I am. And and by this time, Jesus has walked with them through the north. He's ministered and healed and taught. But this is kind of a hinge point in Matthew where he's going to then go south move from the north down south, heading to Jerusalem to do his ultimate work on the cross. And so from here on out, it gets more and more about who Jesus is, who his identity is. His teaching is even more explicit. He's calling himself the Messiah. But he says that Peter was empowered to do this by the Father. There's a Trinitarian aspect to this. Jesus demands that we recognize his authority, his divinity. But as he's demanding this, as he's requiring it, the Father has already gifted them the heart to see. He's already opened their eyes, and then the Spirit empowers them, enables them to speak it forth. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the most profound statements about who Jesus is in the Scriptures. We're, we're going, with this statement, we're going all the way back to Genesis. He's the, he's the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent. 
We're going back to the promise again in Abraham that he would be the one who would bless all the families of the earth. It's an incredibly powerful statement that Peter's making here. And yet, it's not really him who's making it, but the Father allowing him and, and empowering him to do so. Belief is not merely mental assent. Joseph explained several weeks, uh, I'm sorry, Jesse explained several weeks ago that uh, belief is more of evidence of what the Father's already done in our hearts. It's not a, a math equation that suddenly, oh, we see all the pieces align. You know, we, we see that he was born of a virgin. We see that he's the promised one we've been waiting for. And now we're going to do this checklist and suddenly believe. Instead, belief is what God's already worked out in our hearts. It's, it's trust. Paul says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's because belief isn't solely here. We have to believe some things up here, but it's got to migrate to here. And so Peter is preempting something here, or God is doing that through him. We talk about uh, the Wanchi people. We have a, a banner back here. I don't know if you saw it coming in, but it's usually there or back here. And we talk about the V family and pray for them. They were sent out uh, from here to plant a church among among an unreached people group, uh, the Wanchi. And they went and got trained at this school called Radius International. And the way that this school trains, and we hope to send more in the future there, uh, is really pretty hardcore. It's like Navy SEAL training for gospel workers. And one of the analogies that they use that I think is really helpful uh, concerning this is uh, like government agencies do not train people to look at every fake dollar bill or every fake currency and figure out the particulars of all the faults. Instead, they train them with the genuine dollar so well that they can identify any kind of discrepancy. In the same way, we want to equip you. We want to be a church who sends out people who are so enraptured with the genuine gospel that we truly know who Jesus is that all these other, not even heresies, just all these other distractions, all these other misconceptions, would be plain to us right right off the bat. It would become evident. So this is the confession that Peter declares, and then Jesus immediately says, this is the confession upon which I'll build my church. This is the confession that they proclaimed, and it's now the one that we have today. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's also a lot we could say about who this is, piping up and speaking, you know. The one who stepped out of the boat, the one who a few sentences later gets called Satan from Jesus, like in the same scene. The one who got outran by John. The (laughs) The one who, you know, pulled a sword in the, like, the darkest night. The one who, like, you know, said, I'm not gonna, I'll never, ever deny you. 
and then denied him three times. Peter is an interesting character. Like he, Jesus goes to wash their feet. He refuses it. And then when he's rebuked for that, he flip-flops so quick, he's like, just give me a whole shower, you know? Right there. <laughs> Peter is relatable, you know? But the, the interesting thing here is that we see Matthew's not really having us concentrate on Peter as the hero of the story. It's never been about Peter or any of the disciples. It's Jesus and their proclamation of who Jesus is. Let's look at what Jesus says in response in verse 17. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, blessed are you Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus pronounces blessing on Peter, on those who share the truth. We, we have this same kind of blessing. When we confess Christ, that he is God, that he's the one that we've been waiting for, there's, uh, yeah, there, there's a gratification that comes with that. There's something special that happens internally. There's a, there's a blessing internally. But we also see that blessing multiplying and multiplying because as we share Christ and others begin to believe, then we're blessed by their belief and their confession. And as they make a proclamation and a confession, it begins to, like a ripple effect, it begins to continue to multiply. Jesus will build his church on this confession. And even if you look at this passage and think that Jesus is saying that he's going to build his church on Peter, it's the confession that Peter speaks that he's building it on. It's not Peter as the person. It's not Peter as the hero. So the confession takes the central role here, and it's the thing that Jesus blesses. It's the thing that he said originated from him. It's not something from within us. It's derived from outside of us. God blesses us with this confession. And then he gives us marching orders in verses 18 and 19. It says, I also say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus speaks of his church here in a tactical way, like, like they're a military. And we often emphasize that we're a family here, and that's a good thing, and it's a true thing. It's one of the many metaphors or analogies that are used in the New Testament. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the building of God, the flock, the family of God. All these are healthy, helpful ways of, of viewing Christ's body, the church. But we sometimes miss that we're immediately thrown into warfare when we follow Christ. In Christ's earthly ministry, when he would go places, and Matthew's already shown this to this point as we're leading up, the demons would often be the first ones who acknowledge who he was. The presence of Jesus pulls out this sort of confrontational uh, conflict. The demons acknowledge, the darkness acknowledges who Christ is, 
And it takes us being awakened by the Spirit to make the same confession, to acknowledge who he is. You may have seen uh, a popular notion about this binding and loosening, uh, that it's, it's strictly a spiritual warfare statement. And I'd like to add a little nuance to that. I, I believe that it is that we are engaged in spiritual warfare when we proclaim Jesus. But not all proclamation is spiritual warfare. We're proclaiming Jesus. We're pulling down strongholds. That's what we're doing when we proclaim the truth of the gospel. But there are also uh, weaponry that Paul addresses in Ephesians that gives us things like intercessory prayer. You know, the, the whole armor. Y'all know that one? And this is, this is something that we can't just flatten out. All proclamation that, uh, to one degree is spiritual warfare. And on the other hand, it's not all that spiritual warfare is. There's more to it than that. We're not actually binding demons. Like if we're binding de- demons, who's going around loosening them up, like again? Right? But we do have authority in the name of Jesus to simply speak as children, as, as co-heirs of Jesus to the darkness. The same confidence we have that Jesus is going to have some from every tribe, every tongue, every nation around the throne. We see that in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9. The same confidence we have in that we should have in knowing that Jesus is going to build his church. He doesn't say here, that's a good confession. Way to go, Peter. You're blessed. The end. Like, <laughs> he, give, he immediately gives him marching orders, gives us marching orders, and the first thing he says is, I will build my church. Even the way we talk about church planting is theologically loaded. Like, we say planting on purpose. We don't say we're launching a, well, usually don't say we're launching a church. We're doing a church startup. You know, we need angel investors, stuff like that. It's not, it's not a merely entrepreneurial venture that we're doing. It's, it's actually just proclamation. And word and deed, of course, but it's proclaiming this is Jesus. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's through that that God does the work. See this also in 1 Corinthians. Some water, plant, all this. We're harvesters. We're like active, we're participants. We're active participants, but we're not the ones doing the work. It's God at work through us. And then Jesus throws a little bit of a curveball in here in verse 20. It says, Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Wait a minute. Like, he, he's just corrected their understanding of who he is and affirmed what, what the Spirit empowered Peter to say. But it's a specific timing in his ministry. And so Jesus is telling them for a time to not tell of who he is. Because you'll see in the pages following this that Jesus goes around telling everyone who he is. And that's the reason that he ends up on the cross. But... Matthew also shows us at the very end of this gospel that once Jesus has done that work, he says, go into all the earth. 
He actually says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he promises his presence. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's where we live, contrasted with where they were pre-cross. So we now have that same mandate on us. We get to have the keys and lock out or lock in, depending on what the scenario is, what the situation is. But we have this mandate. We have marching orders from our commander-in-chief, who's also our brother, who's also our father. It can kind of get confusing in that way. But Jesus is God. And that is what the church is centered on. If we miss who Jesus is, we 100% have no way of being a part of establishing the church, his church. We'll be building something, but it won't be his church. I'd like to leave you with one last contrast. Uh, Jesus here has talked about how his church is going to operate, how he's the one that's going to be building it, and how he's going to do it through confession, through proclamation. And then he tells them, you know, I've got to go do my work first. Don't say anything. But this has been uh, a, another contrast for me to see that while we're thrown into spiritual warfare, it's also an exuberant life that, that he offers us. And he calls it an abundant life, life that's like overflowing. Because when you've been like Peter and you've been in all of those situations that I've hashed out earlier, and then you see the risen Christ, and he comes, he comes and meets you again. You're in disobedience. Like you're, you've gone back to what you were doing before. And he calls you again, and he says, come, follow me. Uh, the only right response to a revelation of God is worship. I know I've said that like a million times, <laughs> but it's true. Like When we see who Christ is, we can't help but worship. And the church is the gospel made visible. It's an overflow of God's people worshiping him, confessing him to be true. So Leslie Newbigin says this, there has been a long tradition which see, sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. It has been customary to speak of the missionary mandate. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification. And yet, it seems to me that it misses the point. It tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy, to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like a fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal but life-giving. We get to be part of that. I mean, man. Let's pray. Jesus, we just ask you uh, to continue to build your church in and through us. 
continue to make us a people who have this impulse to see you worshipped by others. Make us jealous on your behalf that you would get worshipped where you're not getting worshipped. God, we want to see you famous everywhere among all people. If there are people in this room who have yet to follow you, God, I just ask that you would you would show them, just as you showed Peter, that you are who you say you are. That you are fully God, fully man. And that you've come to redeem us. That you offer forgiveness to sins. And a place at the table as your children. Father, we know that there's been lots of church hurt. We know that your church falls short. We know that we'll fall short. And so we ask that despite all that, we don't throw out your design. Instead, we submit to it. We submit to you and we make that public profession. We make that confession that you are God, that Christ is the son of the living God. It's in your name we pray all this.